Who's ever said this phrase? Oh, not this again. <laughs> Hannah says this phrase every time I prank her. Uh, I'm 28. I still love a good prank. Hands up if you're definitely too old to love pranks, but you still love them. Yeah, oh, oh some people think that they're the appropriate age. But uh, 28 doesn't stop me from loving a good prank here and there. And uh, I, I test all my pranks on Hannah. She gets all the best ones. And my favorite one of late, because it's been winter, has been, I, I love to surprise her before bed by going and lying down on the tiles in the bathroom, making my body super cold. And then she'll be like, quick, come and snuggle me so that we can get warm. And then in comes an iceberg. And I have made her scream multiple times by how cold my body has been. And uh, it's, it's a sacrifice. Like it, it it's really, it really is cold. It's not, a pl- it's not nice to do, but it's worth the reaction. That's the good thing about pranks. It's always about the reaction. If someone reacts badly, it's like, oh, bad prank. Uh, but when it's, your, when it's your wife, you get to test out all of those sorts of things. So, 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 so funny. Anyway, so now it's gotten to the point where she doesn't laugh or scream. She just goes, are you serious? Not this again. And she'll even tell, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm just... Um, I'm just going to the bathroom, and she's like, you're not going to lie on the tiles, are you? <laughs> she knows. She knows. She has that feeling of, ah, oh, not this again. And that's, that's the title of my message tonight. We've all felt this uh, one way or another. We've all probably said it a million times in our life. Maybe for you, it's a certain person who comes into your work that makes your work very difficult. Maybe it's when you get onto your third or fourth headache for the day. Maybe it's you're not a teenager anymore, but you somehow seem to keep getting big zits every now and then. And it's like, are you serious? Like, where is this coming from? Not this again. Maybe you're a parent and your kid is walked inside with muddy feet all over the floor and you've told them again and again not to do it, but they've just gone and done it again. Either way, we've all had this feeling of like, ah, not this again. And that's the feeling that we get when something surely should have stopped by now. Surely this thing should have ceased, but I'm feeling the pain of this yet again. And we feel it in heavier areas of life. Some of us here have been unemployed for long periods of time. And it's like every time you get that email that says, uh, we regret to inform you that we have chosen someone else. It's like, again, it's like, you know, it's just, it's so disheartening to feel that once again. Uh, we, we, we feel it in, in so many areas of life, those who have been unemployed. We feel it in areas of life such as when someone close to you stabs you in the back and it seems like everyone has taken turns at twisting that knife in real deep, especially in high school, that seems to happen quite often. Maybe you've felt it not about circumstances that happened to you, but you've felt about it with circumstances that you've brought upon other people. Maybe you've lashed out in anger and you've ruined a friendship, someone that you cherish and, and you don't realize that you've done it till afterwards and then, and then all of a sudden you realize, hey, I, I seem to do this quite often and it's like, when it's yourself, it's, it's an even heavier disappointment that you can have. And, it, and you can start to feel, you know, a, a little bit hopeless whenever stuff happens again and again and again and it doesn't change. I especially feel like we get this feeling with addiction. Some people it's food, some people it's alcohol, smoking, drugs, porn, whatever it is. You don't want to be there, but then you fall into something again and you just feel so 
shamed on the inside and you're like, how could this have happened to me again? And today is Father's Day, which is an awesome day for celebration. But I wonder if you've ever thought about, if you've ever seen anything in your life that's come from your parents that you kind of think, like, is this repeating generationally right now? Like maybe you've realized that the way that you treat other people is exactly the way that your parents treat each other and they're narky and you don't like it and it looks ugly. And maybe you've uh, realized that the way that you treat money, you just don't have any money. And then you realize my parents never had any money and there must be something wrong with our family because none of us have money. It seems to disappear all of a sudden. Maybe you feel like you've gotten attitudes, behaviors, sayings from your parents that you've inherited. And like I said, when we get the not again moment, it can just feel so disheartening. It can feel like there's nowhere for me to go because it just keeps happening again and again and again. And we all know that our lives are shaped by our parents, who they are, the choices that they make, it all affects us greatly. And there's a really interesting verse in the Bible that on the surface makes it sound like we are kind of stuck in the loops of our parents, stuck in the loops of our pasts. And uh, this verse... uh, It's hard to escape and it's hard to read on the surface. And so I want to dig into that tonight. This is in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 to 7. And this is God's first description of himself. It's the first description of God we find in the Bible. So up until this point in the Bible, we see what God does. We've heard things that he's said and things that he's done. But now God is explaining who he is. He's explaining his character to Moses. And this is the description that he gives of himself. And it says, Yahweh, Yahweh, which is he's giving, he's giving Moses his name or Yahweh, the Lord. It says, oh, He passed in front of Moses and called out Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I love hearing that. That sounds awesome. I love a God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Again, that sounds amazing. I love those attributes. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And I'm like, man, I love that about God. He forgives my iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But then the very next sentence, this is God describing himself. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents on their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. God's own description of himself. And when I look at this, I start to think, so does, does God hold me accountable for the par- mistakes that my parents made or, or the mistakes of my, gr- my grandparents? And will people be feeling the consequences of my mistakes? And what about the fifth generation? Do they just get off scotch-free? Even the children in the third and the fourth generation. This verse seems to say so. And this verse has actually been used to plant ideas and people have come up with theories about generational curses. Maybe you've heard someone talk about a generational curse before. And, uh, And on the surface, it can make you feel a little bit hopeless. On the surface, it makes me feel a little bit hopeless about getting stuck in the loops of my parents and thinking not this again, it popped up in my father and now it's popping up in me. But there's actually a whole lot more to be said about this verse. Uh, Anyone who's listened to Shane Willard knows that when you just cherry pick a verse like this, you just completely miss the point. And this verse is actually the most requoted verse in the Old Testament. So we get a chance to look at um, how a lot of biblical authors thought about this verse. So Requoting, what I mean by that is basically like on social media, how if you repost someone, you'll like 
putting what they said and you're just putting it into your post and then you add your own caption. And this happens in the Bible almost 30 times. This verse is like reposted, you could say, requoted. And then the biblical authors help us to understand what this means. And I think that we're actually going to find, spoiler alert, that it's a whole lot better than what we really think on, at, on after a first reading. This helps us see across time how the biblical authors understood who the character of God is. And so tonight, I want to look at how the Bible authors treated this description of God and how actually when we have a God tether and, a, and, and uh, friends who are tethered to God, we can find escape from our loops. Thank you, Tavita. Let's give it up for Tavita. Now everyone go, 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 go. Thanks, T. So the first thing that we need is a God tether. If we want to break the loops of our parents, if we want to break generational curses, if there is such a thing, which I don't believe there is, we need to be able to be tethered towards God or tethered to God, I should say. What I mean by this is consistently throughout the day, we take time, we take a moment to become aware of God. Because you know, God, he's with us all the time. That's how the Bible describes him. Sometimes we actually forget that God is with us. But checking in and becoming aware of God, it can really help us to make better decisions and to break the loops that we feel stuck in from our parents. It's like checking the time. If you have a smartwatch or a smartphone, it's like every time you check the time, you're grounding yourself in the day. You, you realize where you are and you make decisions based off of that. So if you get up in the morning and you check the time, you either realize that you're late and it changes your behavior, you start to rush, or you realize, oh, I'm actually early, and I can maybe watch a YouTube video, I can maybe play a game on my phone. But either way, when we check the time, it like grounds us, and it changes our behavior. And when we tether ourselves to God, it's like checking the time. When we become aware of God and what He's doing in our lives every single day, as many moments as we can take to become aware of God, it's like regrounding ourselves and not getting caught up and, you know, kind of like how COVID feels. It's like, what, September already? Are you serious? Because I've missed all those events that got cancelled that used to ground me in the today. And I'm sure we all feel like that. So when we take time to ground ourselves to tether ourselves back to God. It actually affects our behavior. And rather than falling into the loops of our parents, we actually find ourselves um, making different decisions, becoming aware of God, and it alters our behavior even subconsciously. So I didn't just pull that out of the top of my brain. This comes from when Moses first requotes that original verse. So when Moses quotes Exodus 34 to a new generation, He's teaching them how to live in a loyal relationship with God. They called that a covenant. And he's teaching them how to tether their lives to God. So this is one of the requotes of that original verse. And when we look at this, we can actually see how Moses understands uh, generational judgment, if you want to put it that way. So this is in Deuteronomy 5 verses 9 to 10. It says, you must not bow down to them or worship them. He's in the middle of telling them the Ten Commandments. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous or passionate God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Here's the part where we start to see the requote. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and the fourth generations. But then he adds this, of those who reject me. 
But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations. Here's the add-on. On those who love me and obey my commands. And so in this requote, Moses actually understands that what we experience in life has a whole lot to do with whether we reject God or whether we choose to love and obey him. And the reason that generations is actually brought up is because God is expressing to them. At that time, he was saying, he was making a commitment to them. And he was saying, I'm going to be the same for you generation after generation after generation. And so when we read uh, that original verse that says to the third and the fourth generation, God's not actually giving a specific number. The phrase to the third and fourth is actually a Hebrew idiom, which basically just means as many as it takes. And so often we find in the Psalms and in the Proverbs, you know, uh, the Bible authors say to the third and the fourth, and they just mean as long as it, and as many as it takes. And so God is saying, I'm committing to be the same to you. And I'm committing to be the same to your children and to your children's children to a thousand generations. If you choose to love and obey me, you will find my mercy, grace, and compassion. You will find the ability to break out of the loops of your parents and whatever you might call generational curses. Colossians 3 verse 2 says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And I love this phrasing, set your mind. I think about when you get in the car and you set your mirrors. It's like the first thing that you do. It's like, before I drive, I want to set my mirrors. And so uh, in this verse, we see it's so healthy for us to set our mind on things that are above. And when we can set our mind before we enter situations, that's the key. So many of us are too busy praying after something has happened. Let's get in the mindset of setting our mind at the beginning of the day so that we can change our behavior before something happens. For me, I have a lot of tethers in my life. I have a lot of set my mind moments. I journal daily if I can. I don't always get to journal daily and there's some weeks where I don't journal at all and I feel really bad about it, but I just know that, hey, tomorrow I'm going to journal again. I'm going to set my mind afresh on God again and it doesn't matter how far I've gone because when I meet with God, when I choose to journal, even just once, God meets me exactly where I'm at. I love journaling. Maybe you could tether yourself to God by choosing to have uh, your own little rule. And I chose to have this rule um, for quite a while. And it's so helpful to just, in my car, I'm only going to play worship music. When I'm with friends, I can listen to other music. But in my car, only going to have worship music. And then it's like, when you go to work, it's like, even if you've had a rushed morning and you weren't able to journal, it's like, boom, I've got a tether. Before I get to work, I'm setting my mind on God. Going home for lunch, going to meet friends afterwards, boom, you've got a tether. You're setting your mind on God. And before you trail off into the loops of your parents and the loops of your past that just seem to keep coming back and back to you, you're resetting yourself back to God where God says, hey, if you choose to love and obey me, you'll find my mercy, justice, grace, compassion, the same love that I give to a thousand generations. You'll find yourself in the same situation that yesterday you snapped and you really burned someone at your work, but actually it wasn't just a burn, but you actually really hurt them. And you're going to find God's grace and peace because you set your mind. You'll be in a job interview and you'll respond differently to questions because God will give you his hope and his peace for the plans that he has for your life. And you respond differently and you become more attractive to that employer. You'll find courage again to try for something in your life that you'd given up on before when you set your mind. So we've got to tether ourselves to God. And the other thing that we need is God-tethered friends. Because sometimes we get a bit lost in life. And I'm quite happy to admit that I get lost in life quite often. And it can be quite hard to keep our eyes on God sometimes. But having friends that are tethered to God always helps pull us back. 
Um, I love having Pastor Levi Molhair back in Australia. Let's give it up for Pastor Levi. I used to, uh, when Levi was in Taiwan, he would call me occasionally and I would call him occasionally. And whenever we talk about what God was doing in, in our lives and in what we were doing with the church, it, it was almost like just having someone there that I could talk to about what God was doing in my life, it just brought me back. It just made me realize things that I'd forgotten, made me for- realize thing when I'd forgotten how good God is. And uh, not just Levi, but so many friends that are, I have chosen that I want to include them in my life. It's like, it tethers me back every time that I choose to have a conversation with them. And the other great thing about friends and having God-tethered friends is that they can pray for us when we don't know what to pray. Because when we have these, not this again, type of moments, it's so hard to pray. Because it's happened so many times, we're like, feel like we've run out of prayers. I feel like I've prayed this again and again and again. But then you have a friend who has fresh faith for your situation. They're tethered to God. They want to pray a prayer of faith over your life. And it's so, so uplifting. So here's another requote of that Exodus verse. This time, uh, it's later on, and it's Moses again, requoting. And he's using God's own quote of himself to ask him to forgive the Israelites. So Moses is now praying on behalf of someone else. I would love to be that someone else. Who would love to have Moses pray for you? (laughs) That would be so cool. So this is what Moses says. Please, Lord, prove that your power is as great as you've claimed. For you have said, here comes the requote, the Lord is slow to anger, filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. But he doesn't excuse the guilty. I love that Moses is not afraid to talk about that side of God. Um, he lays the sins of the parents upon the children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and the fourth generations. So even though he understands God's justice, look at what he says next. So God, in keeping with your magnificent, unfailing love, Please pardon the sins of these people just as you've forgiven them ever since they left Egypt. And so when the children of Israel, when they were feeling stuck in rebellion, Moses is praying for them. And he says, God, I know your character. I know what you promised to a thousand generations. And I'm praying and believing for that for for the Israelites, for the children of God. And Moses understood that when an appeal to mercy is made to God, God almost always responds with mercy. And there's this really interesting example in Jeremiah where God actually tells Jeremiah not to pray for the people. And it's almost as if God knows if someone prays for these people, if someone prays for them and they turn back to me, I, I'm, I, I, it's in my nature. I just can't do anything but forgive and show love and show grace and mercy no matter what they've done. And then we see even further along another requote of this verse in Jonah 4 verse 2. And Jonah's actually a little bit angry about how forgiving God is. Imagine that. Have you ever been angry at how happy someone is? It's like, man, they're just happy all the time. How can they, have, how can they be so happy? Or they're just so, they outgive you. Whenever I'm with Dave Went, he just, oh, if anyone's been with Dave Went before, it's just like, man, I need to step my generosity game up. And it's like, man, how, how does he do that? And so Jonah's feeling a little bit like that because He's like, man, God's so good, but he actually kind of didn't like it a bit. And it says, he complained to God about it. He said, didn't I say, God, before I left home that you would do this? That's why I ran away from you, because I knew that you're full of mercy and compassion. I knew that you're slow to angry and filled with unfailing love. You are always eager to turn back from destroying people. And Jonah's like, I hated the Ninevites. I didn't want them to be forgiven, but you forgave them because you're just so good that you always forgive people no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, no matter what curses they've fallen under. God, you always lean on the side of forgiveness. And we can find ourselves in loops that we are so stuck in. And if we have God 
tethered friends who are willing to be a part of our life. They can pull us out. They can pray for us. They can go to God on our behalf and seek, seek, seek God for us and for our situations. I was so um, blown away this week by one of the guys in my life group. Another, <clears throat> another guy in my life group was talking about something that he was really struggling with and he was feeling a little bit hopeless about it. And um, in, in my life group, we just love to, we just love to, well, in all life groups, not, mine's not special, we, we like to pray for each other. And so then I was like, okay, to this person, can you please pray about that situation? And man, the prayer that came out of this guy's mouth, he was so faith-filled. He was so believing that God was going to do something in this guy's life. And I knew he would have never prayed it for himself. But because he had a God-tethered friend with him, man, he released faith over that situation. And I have no doubt that we're going to see God move in that situation. So if you're stuck in a loop, if you feel like you're stuck in some kind of generational curse, man, you need to get into a life group. If you've got habits, behaviors, mannerisms that you can't seem to break free of, having people around you will be that a God tethered will be of the greatest assistance to you. And hey, I really believe that for all of us, we can break the loops of our past. You're not bound to repeat the same behavior over and over again. Your past is not a blueprint for your future. God wants to do something in your life. Let's choose to be God tethered and to have God tethered friends. And right across this room here at church, there's people who uh, have been through all different walks of life, Some of us feel like we're doing well. Some of us feel like we're not doing so well. And right now, if I asked you, I'm sure all of us could either say we're living life with God or we're not living life with God. And I want us to take a moment right now, right where we are, to ask ourselves that question. Where is God in my journey? Where is he in the picture? Is he part of my life right now or is he not? Because what I love about God's word and and even what I've just explained tonight, that anyone who turns back to God, Anyone who comes to God humbly can find his love, find his peace, find his forgiveness, his compassion and his mercy. And we all have that opportunity tonight. So right where you are, can you just close your eyes? And I just want to give you an opportunity right now to decide in your heart, where is my journey going to go from today forward? When I walk out of here, am I going to start to live life with God or without God? And I really want to encourage you that because of what Jesus did for us, there's nothing that separates us from God, nothing that can separate us from God. And so you have the opportunity tonight to come back to God and to bring Him back into the center of your life. And so I want you to consider praying with me right now, if that's you. And before I pray, I just want to, I guess I just want to pray for you. And so if that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? If you want to bring your life back to God, if you want to get God into the center of your life, if you want to start living with Jesus, just raise your hand right now, wherever you are. Everyone keep your eyes closed. Thank you. One, two, awesome. Thank you. Yep, you can put your hand down. Anyone else? Just want to bring God back into the center of your life right now. Everyone keep your eyes closed. Thank you. Yep. Jesus, I just pray for these people who have just put their hands up and those who maybe didn't but are choosing right now that they want to live with you. I just thank you that you promised to us that you would show us grace, compassion and mercy whenever we come to you humbly. And I pray that for everyone that we would walk out of this place and we'll be able to feel that that we would go into new situations that we were in in the past and finding hurt and pain and being able to find your grace, peace and courage for every situation. In Jesus' name, amen. You can all open your eyes and uh, 
And we're going to pray a prayer. We're going to pray it all together as a family and we're going to pray it out loud. So would you pray this with me right now? And if you put your hand up, hey, this is your chance right now to be thinking, man, I'm praying these words directly to God. This is a moment between me and God right now where I want to get him back in the center. So let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life and I will follow you. Amen. Amen. Well, there was a number of people who just put their hands up just then. Can we give a big round of applause for those people? I am always so excited by anyone who takes steps towards God. And tonight, you guys are no different. I have complete trust and faith that God's going to meet you right where you are in your journey. And uh, I'm going to hand over to Sarah and she's going to explain a few resources that we have that can help you out.